the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Innovators Network. Welcome to the Heart of Innovation. 60 minutes that can save life and limb with new breakthrough ideas and innovation changing the healthcare landscape. Brought to you by patient advocacy group, thewaytomyheart.org. In partnership with Cardiovascular System Incorporated's patient advocacy campaign, Take a Stand Against Amputation. Here are your hosts for the Heart of Innovation, Emmy Award-winning journalist and founder of The Way to My Heart, Kim McNicholas, and interventional cardiologist and founder of the Save My Piggies Health Education Series, Dr. John Phillips. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. This topic today is near and dear to my heart. If you have been following our show, you know that my mom unexpectedly transitioned earlier this year due to an undiagnosed abdominal aneurysm, aortic abdominal aneurysm. And she started out with a dissection and it just escalated. Um, I ended up having a friend of mine over who had a similar situation over the summer with purely an aortic dissection. And we're going to explain all of this and the difference coming up in a minute. But um, while my mom ended up transitioning, he survived. He was able to catch it in time, get to the hospital and found a doctor who was a force to be reckoned with. And he's a fighter in and of himself as a patient and his friends and family fighting right alongside him. And so he's going to be here in just a few moments to share his story. So it should be a really great show. It is worth listening to um, because sometimes these dissections and, and aneurysms, they can just seem to come out of the woodwork. But we're going to help you try and get ahead of it how to talk to your doctor about prevention, and to be able to pinpoint those symptoms that could be an indicator that something is going on that you might want to get checked out. With me, of course, is Dr. John Phillips. Um, we've had a busy week, both he and I, and probably millions of other clinicians and physicians around the world. All of our emergency rooms are busting out the seams, whether it's COVID, heart conditions, respiratory issues. It's been pretty crazy, hasn't it been, Dr. Phillips? Well, first of all, Kimberly, Happy New Year. This is a... Uh, oh, Happy New Year. I right? forgot. It's good to usher in 2023. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's been a pretty busy, busy week for us. In fact, I just got a text message from a patient's daughter that you and I know who's been trying to get down to my hospital now for several days, and there's just as they say, no room in the inn. And <clears throat> they're, I think, potentially contemplating driving to our emergency room. But uh, yeah, it's been busy. Staffing's an issue. The respiratory viruses, um, you know, influenza, et cetera, are kind of rearing their heads. And uh, we just got to 
battle, batten down the hatches, right? And just keep, keep forging forward and taking care of patients. And I know this, this topic, we've talked about it before you and I like offline is, is, is pretty sensitive and, it, and it's difficult, right? Losing your mom to a, a fairly kind of quick and catastrophic event, but hopefully we can share uh, the, you know, what you went through and now what, what David Williams and has gone through and with other, you know, two other people and with other people and, um, you know, add insight to the, the disease process, raise awareness yeah. and, and maybe prevent something like that happening to somebody in the audience. I, I totally agree. And I want to get to a story, but before we do, I always like to start off the show with a little bit of wisdom from you. <laughs> Dr. You John think? Phillips, spectacular, vascular moment of inspiration. Happy New Year. Well, happy New Year. And, you know, I'm going to do something a little bit different today because I was kind of racking okay. my brain. Like, what what should we talk about or what, what are we, what's the inspiration? So I pulled up and I want a little bit of help from you, Kim. So I pulled up. Like the top, I don't know, six U.S. New Year's resolutions for 2023, and they're pretty similar to that of 2022. So just give me a guess. What do you think the number one most common New Year's resolution is for those of us in the U.S. here? Lose weight. Close. That's that's number three. Exercise more is number one. Okay. So these are all the top three are all kind of in our wheelhouse about medical, right? Medicine, medical education, you know, being, you know, healthier, et cetera. Uh, yeah. So number one, exercise more. Number two is eat healthier. Number three is lose weight. Number four, uh, save more money. Uh, number five is to spend more time with family and friends. And then it kind of goes down to uh, live more uh, economically, less social media time, reduce stress on the job, and then finally quit smoking. So what, four of those have to do with what we talk about on a weekly basis? Every day, those things that are going to help you live a longer, happier life. I mean, those are things that can make the difference between blocked arteries (laughs) or clear arteries. Yeah, and I think we can also, with respect to aortic uh, aneurysms and those that have dilatation of the aorta, that one of the questions that uh, we talked about on a previous show, but exercising, you know, what kind of exercise can you do? And there are certain things we recommend and certain things we don't recommend. So it's going to be a great show, obviously, poignant one for you. But um, again, we're going to share that information to educate those that are listening. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Me too. And I think without further ado, I think we need to bring in Captain David Williams. He's on the force. He's actually, uh, we are on a video chat as we record and go live as well with this show. Um, And we can see Captain Williams. He's wearing his uniform. I think he's on duty right now. Thank you so much for your service, Captain. Thank you. And we appreciate your courage coming on and and sharing your story. And I want to Give a shout out to CJ, who was a main player. He was right there when all of this began. CJ, just so people know your voice, can you say hello? And I hear you're also a captain of the force. Yes, ma'am. I am. Hello, everybody. Welcome, you know, guys. I, it, it's really interesting, though, with you both being, um, you know, the whole stereotype, you know, someone who's, um, you know, in the armed forces and, and you know, you know, on the police force. Um, you know, strength and and there's nothing that could hurt you and you're just the force to be reckoned with. God, you know, with pain that an aortic dissection brings, to bring you to your knees must have taken a lot. 
It was a lot. It was a serious, I've never felt nothing like that in my life. It was excruciating. (laughs) And, you know, now looking back in in 2020 hindsight, just um, when you and I had a pre-conversation, you were talking about how you started now kind of going, oh, wow, I started feeling a little fatigue actually while on duty. Can you bring us back to that moment well, Dr. when Okitakis, you started feeling? Sure. Dr. Okitakis talked to me in reference to all this and said I should have been feeling this way before what I had, my auditory section. And reflecting back and looking back, back in February, I got in a little physical encounter with somebody, and um, I just wore off so quick. It was unbelievable. I even I contributed to my age. I'm 56, just turned 57. And I said, you know, I'm just getting I'm getting older, you know. Even the goal, the guy was big and he was he was uh, he was a handful. I just wore off so quick. And looking back, I even told the doctor, I said, you know, uh, I contributed to my age. He goes, well, a lot of it had to do with the valve. He said, and you should have been feeling a lot of issues. You should have been feeling symptoms way before that. And I, you know, looking back now, I have some property with some hills, and um, I was having trouble. I. It, I had to make a couple stops going up the hill just to catch my breath because I was so out of breath. So the, the, the signs were there. I just didn't, I didn't piece them together, I guess. Yeah. You, you were feeling the, um, what do you think? It was just old age. I mean, you're still young. Well, you're I mean, yeah. But you know, I mean, these guys, this one guy in particular was pretty big. And, um, but I just, even though I just walked so quick and uh, I, was, I was thrown to the ground and, Took me a minute to get up. Good thing I had some other deputies that assisted me. And um, but um, I just wore too quick. It was just you know. So, that was so David, David, sorry to interrupt, but we have about a minute left, and obviously we're going to continue this in the next uh, segment. But you touched on something really quickly there. Did did you say you had a valve issue as well? Because that's yeah. Okay. yeah. So we'll talk about okay. gotcha. twenty seventeen. Okay. okay, I see. I see. <clears throat> We'll come up right here on the Heart of Innovation. We are going to hear more of David's story and get into the specifics. You might be wondering, what is an aortic dissection? How does it differ from an aneurysm? And what valvular issue could potentially be the start of everything? And does it correlate? We'll have more on that coming up, so stay with us. Leg health can indicate risk for heart attack, stroke, and amputation. If you have leg pain or cramps while walking, get checked for peripheral artery disease, or PAD. PAD is plaque buildup in mainly the leg arteries. Be sure to ask your physician for an ankle brachial index, also called an ABI test, where they use blood pressure cuffs to analyze the blood pressure in your legs. If they discover you have arterial plaque that's limiting blood flow to your feet, medicine and a regimented walking program are frontline treatment. If PAD is in its advanced stages, your physician may schedule a surgical intervention. Minimally invasive tools are available to remove plaque and restore blood flow, including cardiovascular system's Diamondback 360 atherectomy system, which sands away plaque that is a hard calcium. It's important to discuss all options with your physician, and if told you have no options, get a second opinion. Take a stand against amputation. For more information, go to standagainstamputation.com. That's standagainstamputation.com. Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. 
Welcome back to the show, everyone. We can, have just started our conversation with David uh, regarding his aortic dissection and the events that kind of led to it and ultimately the repair. Uh, you know, before we went to break, you know, Kim and I were just kind of talking about what is a dissection, right? So just in, in layperson's terms, the vessels in the aorta is the biggest blood vessel, arterial blood vessel in the body has three layers and these, these vessels have three layers. So if the, if the vessel starts to enlarge or dilate, um, sometimes these layers can split. And when they do that, the blood can flow not, uh, within the lumen, meaning in, in the most inner layer, but it can, it can flow between those other layers and it can cause, um, what we call malperfusion. So you're not getting the normal blood flow or that normal pressure in vital organs uh, into the brain arms legs etc and it can definitely be life life threatening real quickly what kim's mom had is an aneurysm so that was a dilatation of of the aorta and um, basically what happens there I, the way i describe it is it's kind of like a bike tire that uh, the wall gets weak and you you see that bulge in that bike tire and the the stress or the the pressure against that weakened portion of the of the bike tire can pop and then the air comes out and when those aneurysms rupture the blood comes out and that that can be life-threatening um so david just tell me the day go back to that day you're what at work and all of a sudden what you don't feel right correct actually on june 11th i went on vacation with uh cj when uh my next door neighbors went to full Walton. so he was on vacation just arrived in full Walton, was in a hotel I was feeling a little sluggish, a little tired. We sat down. The ladies went up to the room. Right after that, I asked the guys if they wanted an ice cream. So we sat down and ate an ice cream together. I didn't started feeling a little issue in my neck. And um, it started off mild. And as it went on, it got worse. So as we went up the elevator, we went to the room. I walked in the room. It was really bad. It moved from my neck to my chest and my back. And it just felt like the pressure was so great. I just can't explain to you how I went from mild to the neck down to the chest and the back. And it just felt like it was going to, it was going to blow up. It was just so the, the pressure was just tremendous. So anyway, I, I told Cindy, which is CJ's wife, I went down to my knee and I said, Cindy, I'm in trouble. So she called CJ and he was able to help me get to the elevator. Cause I knew how to get down to the bottom floor, get down to the bottom floor. And I just, uh, I just, you know, laid on a bench down there and uh, they called the ambulance to come pick me up. And um, I sat down in so much pain. Uh, I didn't think I was going to make it through it. What did you think? I mean, in that moment, did you or and I want to get CJ in here, have any idea? I know that when my mom went down, I had no idea. I hear the doctors are saying you're fine. Your heart's fine right now. There's nothing life threatening. No big deal. I mean, what was going through your mind thinking, what could this possibly be? The ambulance attendant actually told him that we told us that it wasn't his heart at that moment when we were downstairs. That was crazy. And you're Cindy, you're CJ's wife. Yes. And so I'm imagining, so if the ambulance driver is telling you, I don't think it's his heart, what could be going through your mind is what could possibly be going on? I can't say that on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't have a we can't bleep you out quick enough. But I, but David, I, so you during the break too, you said you had an aortic valve issue. 
So that right. that aortic valve um, was narrowed, and you had that valve replaced three years or two, what four years prior to this event. Correct. Well, I'm assuming you have a regular cardiologist, and and they know the size of your aorta and whether or not it was dilated or not. Did you have any history of of that aorta being dilated? Um. As he got closer to change, it went. Uh, he gave me a long time. A cardiologist monitored me for a long time, and um, I would do a routine echogram twice a year. And they kept up with the size of the valve. And in 2017, uh, he was letting me make the call because I was young, I was strong. He said, "I need to know when you're getting tired. I'm gonna rely on you to give me feedback. How you feeling? I need you to take the stairs, um, and so forth." So anyway, in 2017, he just said that. Uh, when I went my next visit, he goes, this time we got to change that valve because it got to the point where it's just, it was too small. So um, uh, I was issued a, a tissue valve. I got the tissue valve is what I got versus the mechanical valve. Cause I didn't want to take the cooling in the rest of my life. Okay. So then you got the valve and you were doing well up until this day on yeah. the vacation. I mean, you said I you had doing- started having a little bit of fatigue, but there was nothing, no warning signs really. Right. No, I mean, if I'm looking back, uh, after I talked to Dr. Okitakis, he said, you should have been feeling this way before uh, your dissection. And, uh, and reflecting back in February, the physical encounter I got into, I wore out like that. It was that quick. I couldn't believe it, you know, because I've, I've had, had them before and uh, never that quick did I wear out. And looking back at me with the property and I have a hilly property going up the hills and stopping two, three times just to catch my breath. I guess it was warning signs that I didn't pay attention to. And um, I guess. Uh, so brought you to that was, moment where you were there, you have the ambulance there. They brought you to a local hospital. We have about one minute left. Can you give us kind of the lowdown as to what happened once you got in that ambulance, you got to the local hospital and then what? Well, Dr. Neor for a while monitored me for some time. And he said a couple of great, he made a couple of great decisions. One was not to give me any blood thinner. And then uh, he said I needed a hospital more suitable for my situation. And he recommended um, University of, um, of Florida. And um, at first I wanted to go back to Louisiana. And he said, I can't tell you what to do, but I know that uh, that hospital is well suited for what you have. And uh, they have great doctors. Did so he got on the phone. you had at that point? Not at that point he didn't, no. So he said, look, he goes, I can't tell you what to do, but, I, you know, I would say go to Gainesville. So he made a phone call. Uh, he made a great decision. And I took him up on because I really wanted to go to my hospital in Louisiana. And my wife goes, no, you're going where he tells you. So they jetted me down to Gainesville uh, where they were waiting for me and brought me in. And that's when uh, Dr. Okitakis took over. And the staff that met me there, I was in and out of it. I don't remember the jet ride. I remember waking up in the um um, cardiac unit and all the nurses said you're in good hands yep. died, and that's where I was yeah. and coming up right here on the heart of innovation we're going to meet his lifesaver Dr. Arnitakis in just a moment so stay with us right here on the heart of innovation hello this is Dr. John Phillips your fellow co-host at the heart of innovation and founder of Save My Piggies podcast, here with this week's medical notepad. Today we are going to talk about testing in the setting of suspected peripheral arterial disease, or PAD. PAD is 
plaque buildup in the arteries, mainly in the legs, that can cause walking impairment or, in some cases, ulcers that don't heal. If you go see your healthcare provider and it is felt that you may have peripheral arterial disease, this is after a thorough history assessing risk factors like diabetes or tobacco use, and an exam that shows abnormal pulses, he or she may recommend further testing to determine whether or not you actually have PAD. The most simplest test is called an ABI, which is very sensitive and specific for diagnosing PAD, and it's simple because blood pressure cuffs are placed on the arms and various parts of the legs, and basically we're trying to assess blood flow based on the ratio of the blood pressures. Sometimes we will even recommend ultrasound testing, particularly looking at blood flow within the arteries, CAT scans, and in some cases, even invasive testing called angiography, where we inject contrast and actually can map out the blood flow. When it comes to treatment, walking is the best medicine. And that's also coupled with medications to reduce risk factors, as well as some other medications that can help improve walking distance. If you are having symptoms of pain when you walk, or have an ulcer that isn't healing and have risk factors for peripheral arterial disease like diabetes or coronary artery disease or smoke cigarettes, you may want to talk to your doctor about peripheral arterial disease and they may recommend some of these tests. Most people with peripheral arterial disease, in fact half of them, don't need any interventions they just need the proper medications, a walking program, and need to reduce their risk factors. In general, if you're having issues walking or you think you may have peripheral arterial disease, please talk to your healthcare provider because you have the power to change your lifestyle and start feeling better. With this week's medical notepad, I'm Dr. John Phillips, interventional cardiologist from Columbus, Ohio, co-host of The Heart of Innovation. Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining us. We're continuing our conversation with David Williams and, and family and friends uh, he, as he discussed the dissection that he had in his aorta, and, and he made it to, to Gainesville, where George is. George, welcome back to the show. Thank you, um, John. I'm happy to be here. And uh, I, I'm glad you were able to, to move safely. Um, <laughs> so take, take it from there. You, you, accepted, you accepted David knowing that he had a dissection, right? And and you probably are going to have to take him to the operating room emergently, right? Correct. So um, we're very uh, proud uh, where I uh, formerly practiced in Gainesville, University of Florida, to have a very busy and, and uh, broad catchment referral center for aortic disease at the University of Florida in Gainesville. And um, a surgeon I uh, know well who evaluated David in the panhandle of Florida Um was, they were able to perform a CAT scan because of his symptoms and was able to uh, promptly recognize the diagnosis. And as uh, David and his family had alluded to, recommended transfer to Gainesville 
Fortunately, in David's case, he had had his prior aortic valve replacement. And so the scar tissue that happens when folks have surgery was able to contain the area of the aorta that was um, uh, torn or damaged. And so that prevented something um, more catastrophic. And he was able to safely transfer uh, to University of Florida. Fortunately, and this is something that's evolved with our uh, better technology and actually one of the things that I've been very interested in as far as statewide research and, and collaboration goes is, is a sharing system for imaging platforms. So that way we don't have to repeat all the imaging when, when a patient like David arrives, but rather I'm able to see the images actually when he's still at the outside hospital. And um, in aortic surgery, obviously the patient and their condition and their medical history matters most, but I can understand what operation they need, how to tailor the operation predominantly off of the CAT scans. And so we can be prepared um, by being able to review them before. And so uh, yes, go ahead. Sorry. I just wanted to make it just to clarify a couple of things. Um, number, Number one, in your opinion, if he was too unstable at the initial hospital, they would have had to have done the surgery there. Right. I mean, there's, there's a, there's a point when you can't, transfer these folks or yeah yes for sure um you know lots of times when when it's a redo um there is a window before the aorta you know freely ruptures where the scar tissue has things contained and they can safely transfer and you know um i wish i i could say it was so but david's not the first patient from you know three four hours away in the panhandle that i've transferred into to Gainesville for what I would consider, you know, an emergency or an urgent repair. But right. you're right, John. Right. If someone, you know, presents in, in an acute, uh, unstable phase, then they they have to be stabilized before they're transferred. And, and then the other uh, comment I was thinking about, uh, there are probably a lot of people out there who have, quote, some valve disease, and they might be scratching their heads like, wait a second, how, how does a valve disease play into yeah. a dilated aorta or a dissection, right? Yeah, so that, that's important to clarify. I I don't I don't uh, know exactly from not having done David's first operation, but for a man you know in his age group to undergo aortic valve surgery, I would presume that he had a variant of the aortic valve called a bicuspid valve, where there's two leaflets instead of three. It's important for everyone out there to know that this has been something you know debated over the years. However, the uh, bulk of the recent literature shows that people with a bicuspid valve are not at any increased risk for a dissection as opposed to people who have a three leaflet valve. Now, what what they are at risk for, uh, John, as you know, is an ascending aneurysm, Mm -hmm. which is itself, you know, a risk for a dissection and needs to be monitored. But just because they have a bicuspid valve does not necessarily mean they're at higher risk for one of these, you know, dissection or ruptures. But in David's case, his valve had already been replaced. Um, And I think, honestly, you know, in my opinion, just reviewing uh, everything about his history leading up to this event, I think probably high blood pressure was was one of the big uh, risk factors for a dissection um, rather than yeah, so I don't pressure. want everyone out there with an aortic valve to worry right. Right. You know, that they're at high risk for a dissection. Sorry, Kim. That's right, David. Um, does that sound familiar? A little bit of high blood pressure? Yes, it does. As as there, there's no there's no stress in your job, though, right? No stress. <laughs> no. Not at all. <laughs> so, I'd like I'm, to say I'm so glad to see David back in uniform, and thank you for our, for your service. Yeah, that's awesome. 
Doctor, I can't thank you enough. Your staff said nothing but great things about you when I went in. They told me you're in great hands. You couldn't ask for a better doctor. And um, tell you, Doc, I, I appreciate everything you've done. Well, I'm, glad we, I'm glad we could help you. And like I said, glad to see you back in uniform. Thank so, you. George, can we can can we continue the story? So, sure. you, David comes to you. We got two minutes left, and we'll go to break, and then we'll continue it after that. But he, you know, you know the images. You know what you need to do. I'm assuming you've got a team ready to roll. Yeah. We, you know, at UF, we, like I said, you know, do a lot of acute dissections. And so we were very, you know, prepared to handle um, David's case. The one um, the one aspect uh, that was touched on earlier, you know, David had had a prior aortic valve replacement. And this is an important uh, thing uh, that's talked about quite a lot. You know, John, now, as you know, with with uh, minimally invasive tissue valve replacements for for a, for a very, you know, muscular, active man, the, the valve that was in from before it was a little on the, on the smaller side for a man that size, David's size. And, um, you know, a person's anatomy is their anatomy. And so um, there are some more, uh, let's say complicated techniques to put a bigger size valve in. And so when, when I went in, not only did I fix the tear in the aorta, but uh, his prior valve had already started to show some significant signs of wear um, even though it was fairly new. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes if it's a little bit small for the size of the individual, that can hasten the wear on the valve. So while we were in there, um, it is everything was going very well. And so I made a decision to replace that valve with something bigger that would work well for David. And um, that that's where, you know, some of those questions about fatigue and tiredness leading up to this event um, come from. Now, I don't want people to think that those were signs that something was wrong with the aorta. That was an acute event that happened when David was on vacation. Those questions of fatigue and tiredness related to the valve maybe being a little, you know, showing some signs of early wear. But those those two things are are are, are distinct from each other. If you had to speculate, and again, just speculation, and, and I'm curious, we got about, I don't know, 30 seconds left. Do sure. you think that he had an under, I mean, he must have had an underlying in, or some dilatation of the aorta, but clearly it wasn't big enough for the surgeon to repair the aorta in at the same time he did the aortic valve Correct. in 2017, right? Correct. Absolutely. I would agree. Um, okay. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, coming right up here on The Heart of Innovation, we'll have more of David's story. And also, we really appreciate Dr. Arnataki is joining us. And we'll have some lessons learned and how you can prevent this from happening to you. So stay with us. Three years ago, my symptoms started with leg pain and leg cramps while walking. Me too, with a tightness in my calves. Well, do you know, my doctor thought that my leg cramps were a side effect of the statin he prescribed me. Well, my doctor just brushed them off as another symptom of old age. Mine thought the pain was radiating from my spine. My doctor blamed my neuropathy on diabetes until I got a wound on my foot that just wouldn't heal. Yeah, it turns out we all have peripheral artery disease, also known as PAD. It's plaque buildup mainly in the leg arteries causing poor circulation. For me, the diagnosis came too late and I lost my leg. But that does not have to happen to you. No, it does not because there are treatment options available if you're diagnosed early enough. PAD. 
peripheral artery disease. If you've been experiencing leg pain, leg cramps, or neuropathy when walking, and your doctor isn't hearing you, we are. We are the way to my heart, the largest support network for peripheral artery disease patients, and we want to help you get back on your feet again. Visit our website at thewaytomyheart.org or call our Legsaver hotline, 415-320-7138. Your life and limb could depend on it. Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining us. We're continuing our conversation regarding David and his dissection and George um, what you've you've taken him to surgery. You have replaced a portion of his aorta. You've also replaced his valve, and now um, you know he's doing okay. But there's a he's still got a long way to go before he gets the wind back in his sails. He's going to be in the hospital for a while, right? Yeah, um, you know, fortunately, David had a a, a very smooth recovery. Um, acute type A dissection is a very um, you know, it can be a very lethal disease and can, um, you know, affect perfusion to all of the body's organ systems. And so um, uh, sometimes patients can have prolonged recoveries. But uh, David came into the operation in in very strong shape. And that um, often is a very strong prognostic sign for afterward. Uh, he had a very uneventful course, although, as you alluded to, John, recovering from heart surgery, even in the fittest of folks, takes uh, weeks to months to recoup the uh, conditioning and strength that a person had beforehand. So typically, I tell my patients, even after elective routine heart surgery, about an eight-week recovery to get 90 to 100% healed. Okay. So then just... The the fact that um, he had a prior surgery, I know that probably makes it a little bit more difficult for you, but also probably saved his life, right, with the scar tissue. What, I mean, what do you tell him now? Let's say you see him a month, a month later. What, what should he expect? I mean, obviously he's going to have to get frequent scan CT scans or some type of imaging. What kind of exercise can he do? What should, I mean, should we be checking his blood pressure more regularly? Do we have to do better control of his blood pressure? Walk us through that post-operative kind of planning, so to speak. For sure. So once all the acute issues resolved and we're making preparations for David to get out of the hospital, particularly in David's case, being from out of town, lots of our conversations revolved around follow up with local uh, physicians, a cardiologist in particular. I tell patients who've suffered an aortic dissection that this is really even though we fix the main tear, there are parts of the aorta that need to be monitored beyond where our repair goes that need to be monitored, frankly, the rest of one's life. And so um, that surveillance usually involves periodic CAT scans as well as periodic echo uh, cardiograms to monitor the function of the aortic valve, whether we saved it and repaired it or it was replaced either way an echocardiogram and a CAT scan. And typically that's every uh, year to two is what uh, the guidelines recommend. And so in David's case, we spent a lot of time talking about making sure he had good follow-up closer to home when he got back. Um, As far as activity level, I tell patients, and this goes for folks who have aneurysms too, 
that are just being watched and haven't had surgery because a lot of, there's a lot of um, uncertainty about what, what kind of activity level people can have. Aerobic activity, I counsel patients, is totally fine. Jogging, um, uh, swimming, travel, intercourse, uh, biking, rowing. What we typically advise against are very strenuous um, weightlifting exercises. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the, the weight that we select is, is somewhat arbitrary, really. There's no, there's no hard data that guide that. But in our practice, we typically advise against anything greater than 50 or 60 pounds. And but I also balance that against guys. someone's livelihood. You know, my brother has a bicuspid valve defect and ascending aortic aneurysm that he's being monitored very closely over the John Ritter Center over in Houston. And he was a bodybuilder, just like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold Schwarzenegger, celebrity, former governor of California, also had that. And he um, ended up with a, a big surgery, you know, following and he seems to be doing great. But with my brother, they told him, continue jogging, continue doing your strength, strengthening exercises, but just stop that heavy weightlifting. That's right. So, and he continues to be monitored, but I'm curious from um, David's perspective. So after all of this, gosh, you went through the wars. I want to hear from, from you and I want to hear from CJ. And I also, we, we have your, your son, Josh, that's on the line was also with you. I mean, it must've been, was it a huge relief, but also so still kind of that shock and still scary like oh shoot what if this happens again what was going through your mind you're sitting in the hospital room after you had this huge life-saving moment with Dr. Anatakis uh I just was glad I got to that point because I really didn't think I was gonna make it that far uh going through the episode I went through it uh, at the hotel um you do a lot of thinking when you're in the bed spending more time with the family well how, how long you have you know uh, and um, just to make some changes in life, spend more time, eat more healthy, uh, all them things are going through. The changes you're going to make if you're allowed to make it through uh, what you just went through. And um, I'm trying to do all that now. So um, I'm very grateful. I was given another chance and um, just just appreciating life a lot more, you know. And CJ, what about for you being there, feeling so helpless and not knowing what's going on, having expletives going through your mind as he's being carried off in the ambulance and they're saying it's not the heart, but we don't know what it is. And right. going through this whole process, and it must have been a whirlwind for you. I mean, someone who's in the force and has so much strength, we talked about in the beginning, to feel so out of control. It, it felt helpless, really. I mean, David and I are like, brothers i mean we we do everything together and our wives and everything it, it just felt like it was helpless i wanted to take the pain away from them if i could um you know i look at things i, I happened for a reason we had, we were on vacation but we we're at the right place at the right time we got the best doctors and everything so if it had it happened i'm glad it happened there where we were because everything worked out with with the best of everything that they gave them I mean, it was so great that he had you with him. I mean, to be making a decision in that moment, hey, the the paramedics aren't going to be able to go up into the hotel. We got to drag him down. You don't even know as the waiting for the elevator, the elevator going floor by floor by floor down. Is he he, am I going to lose him right here? You must still have some PTSD from that. It it was it was if the elevator took too long, I would have just 
threw him on my shoulder or something, carried him downstairs. <laughs> I mean, and it was a lot of things going through my head. He was going to get downstairs and <laughs> yeah. still be alive. How about that fireman that came up? Remember him? I remember kept, telling, telling me, calm down. It's like, calm down. Yeah, he's telling us, you know, I'm, I'm kind of sitting back watching everything, trying to keep everybody's calm and watching him. And, and then they tell him, David, it's just anxiety. You know, that's all it is. You, just, you got excited, you know, calm down. And I just kind of looked at him. And I could, I mean, what was running through my head at the time, it, I'm just glad it didn't come out. <laughs> well, that's a fellow brother in arms, right? But, uh, David, <laughs> yeah. you, I mean, you felt like there was, we got about a minute left, but clearly something was different. And you had this notion of impending doom, right? Which a lot of people well, describe, I think. The pressure was so unbearable. I was trying to say my prayers. It was so hard, I couldn't even concentrate to do that. That's how bad the pressure was. It was just unbearable. I just didn't think I was going to make it through it. Somehow I did, and um, I am just so grateful, let me tell you. I have to ask also, I'm assuming the vacation was canceled. Have you had a chance to get that vacation in yet? I don't, th- I don't think they want to go back on vacation. <laughs> That's probably true. <laughs> Definitely make up for it. <laughs> We're going back. We do. We're going to go. And, and coming up right here on the Heart of Innovation, um, there's one other person that has a special thank you to Dr. Arnataki, so I hope you can stick around for a moment. And also a few final lessons for you to prevent this from happening to you. So stay with us. Welcome back to the Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the show. We've been talking um, about um, David's just crazy story, um, life-saving story. And um, we have his doctor, Dr. George Arnatakis, who is at the University of Florida at the time. He is now um, starting a whole practice over, I believe, the University of Texas, right, in Austin? Correct, at the, at the newly formed Dell Medical School in Austin, Texas. And is this also going to be a specialty center for aortic dissections, I would imagine? Yes. In fact, um, one of my first faculty members is a, is a uh, heart surgeon who uh, came over from University of Pennsylvania, Joshua Graham, and he and I both actually trained at University of Pennsylvania, and that's in large part where we, we formed our interest and, and developed some of uh, the expertise in aortic uh, disease, uh, aortic dissections. And um, he and I are both involved in some of the clinical trials that are underway right now for aortic dissection to help uh, prevent future problems uh, down the road related to the aorta. And so he's uh, one of uh, what I hope to be several members of the team as we grow a university program here in Austin, Texas at the Dell Medical School. Very, very lucky to have you there. And I'm really excited to see how that evolves. Um, We do have uh, a couple other people that just want to say a special thank you that are related to David. Josh, his son. Josh, do you want to say a few words? Hey, uh, I just wanted to say, well, first off, Kim and Dr. Phillips, I appreciate the work you guys are doing, really impacting, changing, and saving lives. So great, great thank you to that. Um, and to CJ and Cindy Wood, um, you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't go without saying, you know, how thankful I am. So, and then lastly, uh, but certainly not least, uh, Doc Anatakis, um, 
Well, first off, welcome to the greatest country in America, Texas. Um, <laughs> and, and thank you. Uh, genuinely, I speak for my brothers and sister. Thank you genuinely so much um, for what you do and what are continuing to do and impacting lives and saving lives. And uh, I know my father, mother, and my, our whole family is just uh, forever in your debt. So thank you. Well, that's kind, kind, so kind uh, for you to say. And it's, uh, you know, the honor of a lifetime to be able to take care of folks like your dad and others. Um, and uh, it's, it's really uh, a gratifying profession. And I, I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Yes. Here's and my wife you right final here. Words? I have my wife right here. I'd like to tell him thank you. Just yes. want to send a huge thanks to Dr. Okotakis for everything he has done and saved months. But well, y'all are most welcome. And it, you know, it's a it's a big team that goes into taking care of um, people who suffer uh, aortic disease, from the OR team to the ICU team. And I know. David and his family interacted with all of them. And, um, you know, we, we can't do these kinds of operations and recover patients without all the members of the team that contribute. So um, you had an awesome, testament to awesome, them as well. Awesome staff. You had They all talk highly above you and uh, enjoy the stay because they were on top of everything, Doc. I actually have a date to follow up and go up there on February. Um, I mean, uh, yeah, February 6th. Terrific. I thought you were still... I thought she was going to still be there, but Doc can't thank <laughs> well, you enough, believe me. We'll arrange something. Thank you okay. so much, all like of you, and thank you, David, for sharing your courageous story. Um, you know, Dr. Phillips, you want to say final words and take us out? 20 uh, you seconds. Know, I, would, I would just say that this this story is the reason why, Kim, we started this, why we do the Save My Piggies. Uh, these weren't piggies that were saved. This was an aorta, but it's the same thing. So fantastic show. Thanks for everybody, uh, you know, for joining us. And um, let's keep let's keep doing this. You've been listening to The Heart of Innovation with Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Our mission is to help patients live a better quality of life through comprehensive education, real-time support, and high-touch advocacy in partnership with thewaytomyheart.org and take a stand against amputation. Our purpose is to reduce the 1.5 million heart attacks and strokes and nearly 200,000 amputations annually. For more information regarding topics you've heard discussed on today's program, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. The Heart of Innovation is for educational and informational purposes only, and advice and views shared are not a substitute for medical advice from your own supervising physician. Do not act on any information provided in this show without the explicit consent from your own healthcare team. If you think you are having a medical emergency, call your local emergency number or go to the nearest hospital or emergency room. This show is distributed by the Innovators Network. For more information and other great shows and content, visit theinnovators.network. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.